Hey there, this is Brian. I'm the host of the Engaging Missions show. If you've found this show for the first time, I did want to take a second to let you know that this show is not currently in production. You're certainly welcome to check out all of the archives, but we don't have new episodes coming out at the moment. However, I did want to take a second to highlight one of the sponsors that sponsored the show a while ago. They're not currently sponsoring the show, but if you're looking for a place to invest in the kingdom, I'd recommend checking out Mega Voice Audio Bibles. You can find them at megavoice.com, or you'll find a link in the show notes, and I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. You're listening to the Engaging Missions Radio Show, Episode 38 with Curtis Sargent. Welcome to the Engaging Missions Radio Show. If you care about missions, this is the place for you. Whether you're actively involved in ministry and missions, are considering missions, or serve God in the marketplace with a heart for God's kingdom, you're in the right place. Join us each week for inspiration, encouragement, resources, and so much more as we delight in the things that God is doing all around the world. All right, let's get started. I'm really happy to have Curtis Sargent on the line today. Curtis saw about 500,000 baptisms in Eastern Asia a few years ago, and our former guest suggested that I contact Curtis and said that he's one in whom there is no guile. He said that Curtis is passionate, has a master's in mathematics, and now runs Metacamp, which is a church planting multiplication or CPM trading camp in Dadeville, Alabama. Okay, Curtis, I've given just a little introduction. Can you take a minute and tell us about yourself and your ministry? We'd like to get to know you personally. Sure. Um, I actually grew up overseas in Asia um, and um, then came to the U.S. to go to school, then went back overseas to serve and um, started in East Asia, as you mentioned, and then expanded out from that over uh, later years. And now my wife and I were empty nesters and we reside, as you mentioned, in Alabama and try to train people in multiplicative disciple making and church planting. So that's in a nutshell, a little of our history. Okay, and Curtis, I know that there's a, a wide variety of what we might think of as missionary experiences. You know, um, it seems like growing up, all the missionaries I ever saw coming into church were you know people who were in the jungle or who were in an undeveloped, what we might think of as an undeveloped area in the world. But then I know that also on the other end of the spectrum, we have missionaries, uh, frankly, who are sent here from other countries. Can you tell us a little bit about what life is like for you? Well, currently... Uh, I'm in a rural place, but not quite as exotic. <laughs> so Dadeville is a very small town. and uh, But, of course, over the years, we've served both in very undeveloped areas and in megacities. You know, we've spent several years in Singapore, for example, which is kind of like New York City on the equator. So... Um, that right now we're living a more rural lifestyle. So, All right. Thanks for sharing that. Now that we know you a little bit, can you share with us a scripture or maybe a motivational quote that's really been meaningful to you, and then share with us how that has really shaped your behavior? Well, when I was in 
high school, I selected a life verse, um, which was very short. It's John 3.30. It says, he must increase, but I must decrease. Of course, that was um, said by John the Baptist. Mm -hmm. And um, interestingly, um, over the years, one of the things that I've struggled with personally you know, has been pride. And so that turned out to be a really great life verse <laughs> because every, every time, you know, that you start to, to slip into pride, reminding yourself that everything that's of value, everything that happens through or around your ministry is all the grace of God. You know, we can do nothing by ourselves. You know, it's only by abiding in him that we can do anything. And um, so that has turned out to be a, a good choice for a life first for me personally. Okay. Now that we know you a little bit, Curtis, uh, we'd like to hear about a challenge in your life. We know that life isn't always just easy and happy, and we can have what seems like the Facebook effect, or it looks like as we look at other people's lives, we're seeing kind of the highlight reels while on our, in our own lives we see the, the stuff that hits the cutting room floor. Can you share a time with, with us about your journey where you encountered maybe a significant challenge or a failure, and then share with us um, what God did with that? Sure. Um, you mentioned our early work in East Asia, which was sort of the first, first, you know, church planning movement we were associated with and our first long-term overseas effort focused on one people group. While we were there at the beginning, everything seemed really hard. It was, you know, difficult living circumstances and Difficult language we were trying to pick up, two, two actually, languages we were trying to pick up and wasn't seeing any fruit. And um, we started really sensing particular spiritual attack against our family's health. And um, so at that time, our oldest son um, was just a couple of years old. And um, suddenly started falling down all the time. And it would be at the top of staircases, uh, concrete staircases, or where there's glass on the ground and he'd get cut up or bruised up. So I asked him about it um, one time, right as it, after it happened. And he told me something was holding his foot when he was trying to walk. And so that seemed odd. And so we started praying, you know, against that. And, um, that, that same day I was out for a run and, uh, running along the coast of this little Island we lived on. And, um, suddenly something told me to turn around. So I turned and I saw a German shepherd in the air. It approached quietly and he was in the air just about to fasten his jaws on the back of my neck. And he was so close, I didn't even have time to get my hand up. But then suddenly in midair, he just was knocked backwards, flipped head over heels backwards out of midair. And I, I hadn't even touched him. And so I turned to defend myself and I looked down the 
beach where I'd been coming from and saw this soldier running and he's calling this dog. And so he runs up and apologizes profusely and, you know, so at that time I, um, realized something weird was happening, you know, the, the things were happening in the supernatural realm clearly and went on home and my wife started to complain of a pain in her leg. She had just become pregnant with our second child, our, our daughter. Um, and, um, over the next few weeks, that pain moved up her leg into her back. And then she was paralyzed from her mid torso down. And we were living in, you know, very primitive conditions. And so it was a lot of work just to take care of household things. She had been doing all of that while I had been focused more on the ministry. So suddenly I'm having to hand wash everything and, and go down to the river every day to buy food because we had no refrigeration and, you know, all of this stuff where if you don't have electricity and you don't have water, it just takes a lot, lot of, uh, you know, time to, to live. And um, so I was trying to do that, take care of this, you know, active little boy and uh, take care of my wife. And I was just exhausted and getting, you know, doing no ministry because now I'm totally focused just on caring for the family and praying and praying for my wife to be healed. No, no change, no response. And um, eventually became so desperate that I asked uh, an old widow that lived next to us would she please cook one meal a day for us and go to the market for us each morning? Because I just couldn't even handle taking care of our family. And um, so she agreed and that went on for more weeks and then I couldn't take any more. So I, I went into town and hired a telephone and called our supervisor who had no idea any of this was going on because we had no email our snail mail was stopped Hmm. and no phone of course and so we would come out once a year for chinese new year and uh, so he had no idea this was going on and so i just said look we've got to come out i have tried i've given it everything i have and we just we have to come out and so he said okay so we got Debbie out to Hong Kong doctors looked at her and they said, well, it's not anything serious long-term. Um, it's just a very, very severe disc issue, but, um, we can't operate on her because of where she is in her pregnancy. They said, but, um, we did a sonogram on your baby and it's your baby's going to be very severely handicapped and will likely not survive till birth. And will, um, if she does survive till birth, she'll certainly die in the first couple of years of life. So you might as well have uh, an abortion and then we can operate on her and, you know, it'll be fine. Of course, that wasn't an option for us. Mm -hmm. So um, we um, chose rather to go back to the U.S., 
where they could operate on her during the pregnancy. And um, so we got her back there the next morning she had surgery. And when she came out um, from surgery, um, I went back and she and our son stayed with her parents for, for um, three or four weeks. Um, and then they came back to, uh, to join me. And when I got back, it was so interesting that um, previously we had seen virtually zero fruit. But when I got back, everyone viewed us differently. Previously, we'd been these, you know, rich Westerners, educated, nobody could relate to us. But when we came back, they had realized because of all those things we'd been going through that we were just like them, you know. In fact, that we were dependent on them, you know. And um, it also went a long way toward dealing with, you know, my pride issue that I mentioned before, Mm -hmm. showing me that, you know, I can do nothing on my own. And um, so then things started to move. And the result, ultimately, as you mentioned earlier, was a a great turning to the Lord um, in that place among that um, unreached people group we were serving with. And so God used those difficulties um, in my life, you know, for my growth and benefit, as well as to help turn that people group to the Lord. And also, interestingly, God had mercy, and our daughter was able to have some major surgeries in the first month of her life. And um, not only did she survive, but she's a wonderful young lady. So, Wow, that, that's a powerful story, Curtis. Um, as you were talking, so many questions going through my mind, and obviously I don't have time to ask all of them as they're coming from this story, but I'm, I'm just wondering... And you can you can tell me no if if that's if it's not okay. But I'm just wondering. It seems like, as I've talked to a few people, that uh, spiritual things seem more commonplace in some other countries than they do, say, in the U.S. or in North America. Do you have a perspective on that? Um, I'll respond briefly to that. I think there's two parts to it. One is I think there are some things evident here in North America, but because of our worldview, we interpret them differently. And um, so we don't, we don't tend to see life from a spiritual point of view. We see things more from a materialistic, humanistic point of view. And so we interpret things that happen differently. But I think also that... Um, Satan works differently in different environments. And, uh, you know, one of his approaches here, I think, is to, you know, kind of push the, you know, God is dead, you know, the material is all there is, that kind of a, a line. And so it's counterproductive for him to, to work in very obvious ways, you know, here in North America. Right. And similarly in Europe. 
Um, whereas in some places he chooses to use, you know, fear and things like that. And then the big obvious attacks are a more appropriate, you know, tactic. So that's a couple of thoughts on it. Oh, well, thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate that. Now, we are going to go ahead and move to the other end of the spectrum. We've heard about this challenging time in your life that God really flipped and turned into something great. But just like we all have challenges, there are also those times when we have moments of revelation, whether it's a, a pinpoint moment in time where God sort of parts the skies and reveals something to us, or even, as I've heard from a number of guests, a time where they've, over maybe the course of weeks or months, God has been revealing something to them through their lives, and then as they look back, they see what God's been doing. Can you take us to a time in your life when that kind of thing happened, when God revealed something to us to you, and then share with us what you did to take what God showed you and run with it? Okay. Well, um, this wasn't exactly a, a big victory, but it was a time of revelation um, on that same island that I, I referenced earlier where we were serving. When I first went there, um, my biggest first task was to learn the local language. Um, it's one that wasn't reduced to writing. And, um, you know, there aren't any language schools for it. You just have to go pick it up. So I had this great strategy where I was going to start with two-year-olds. So I would go into a village and try to find a two-year-old and try to strike up a conversation and then work my way up, you know, as my language improved. So I went into this village very early on, and I was looking for little kids. And there was nobody in the streets except one old lady. So I went up to this old lady and said to her, um, grandmother, how old are you? Which was asking her to brag on herself because they value, you know, age. And, uh, so she kind of pulled herself up to her full height, which is about four foot nine. And, uh, she said, I am 97 years old. Wow. And I said, wow, that's old. And she, you know, looked pretty pleased at that. The problem was I had pretty well shot my vocabulary by that point. I wasn't sure where to go. All my practice had been with little kids, so I knew how to talk to little kids. But uh, so fortunately, she picked up the conversation and she looked up at me and she said, you are so tall. I could tell what she was saying, but tall was a new word for me. So I'm sitting there saying tall, 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 tall. And then I said, yes, I'm very tall. And then she looked up at me and she said, your face is very pale or your skin is very pale. And those were new words for me too, but I could tell by her body language what she was saying so i said yes my skin is very pale and i'm reciting tall skin pale tall skin pale and then she looked up at me and she she said your nose is so big (laughs) (laughs) and nose was new to me so i said yes my nose is very big and i'm going tall skin pale nose tall skin pale nose and my head's about to explode from new vocabulary So I'm looking for a way out of this conversation. 
So I reach in my pocket and I pull out a track that's in the national language and offer it to her. And she says, no, I can't read. And I said, and your son? And she said, no, no one here can read. And it just hit me suddenly that I'm standing here face to face with this person who, except for her age, is typical of this people group I'm trying to reach. And I'm absolutely helpless to do anything for her. So I'm, you know, trying to encourage myself. And I think, well, eventually I'll learn the language and I'll be able to help people like this. And then I realized, guess what? I have never, over any significant period of time, averaged leading one person a day to the Lord, even in my native language. And if I started to do that now in this new language, and I did it from now till I retired, it'd be about 15,000 new believers, which wouldn't even be a drop in the bucket for this people group. And not only that, but what we're aiming for isn't just new believers, but we're needing disciples, which means we need to have churches because that, that is essential for, you know, for living the life of discipleship is having churches where we can encourage one another. And that's a whole nother level. So I thought, wow, I can't even imagine, but let's say in this first five-year term, I was able to lead enough people to the Lord to form 20 church planting teams. And let's say I equipped them all. I, I don't know how that could happen, but let's say I did that and they planted a church a year every one of those 20 teams. I figured it'd take me about 250 years to plant just the minimum number of churches to get started among this people group. Wow. And um, so right then it hit me that the only way this could happen would be to make disciples who would make disciples who would make disciples to start churches that would start churches that would start churches. And so from that day on, everything I did in ministry, I brought back to that criterion, you know, is this focused on making disciples who make disciples and starting churches that start churches and so that became sort of the, the template or the, the primary criterion I looked at as I was making decisions about how to do ministry, about what to prioritize, about what to invest my time in, and so on. And so it turned out to be a, a critical conversation with that old lady. Hmm. That, that's amazing that, to see all that came out of that one probably fairly short interchange. With that, Curtis, we are going to go ahead and move to the present day. We'd like to hear what's going on in your ministry, maybe something that's really exciting you right now, or maybe something that you see coming in the future. Well, um, the last couple of years, I've been training people here in North America. Um, Interestingly, um, 
I started doing generally this type of training about 20 years ago now. And um, at the beginning, people would say, oh, yeah, what you're talking about worked in China, but it couldn't work in India. And then it happened in India. Then they'd say, well, yeah, it worked in Asia. It couldn't work among Muslims. And then it would happen among Muslims. And then they'd say, yeah, but those were folk Muslims. It couldn't happen among real Muslims. And then it happened among real Muslims. And then they'd say, yeah, but those weren't Arab Muslims. And then it happened among Arab Muslims. You know, then they're now they're saying it couldn't happen in North America or Europe. Guess what? It's happening in North America. <laughs> yeah. So um, the fruit of the people that I'm training has been very encouraging for me um, because, you know, I've seen much greater numbers than we did in East Asia in several other places around the world. But people always said that couldn't happen here. And I, I didn't feel called to North America. And actually, I still don't. My my that ulterior motive in training North Americans is that we're still sending so many overseas and I want those people to be more effective. Mm -hmm. I want them to, I want more of them to target unreached people groups. So that's really my motive. And that is happening among the people we train, but also some of them are staying in North America and they're beginning to see a lot of fruit. And so that's a huge encouragement to me. Okay. Now, we know that not everyone is called to vocational ministry. That, um, you know, I, we believe that there is a call to vocational ministry and that there's a call to the marketplace. That doesn't mean that we're not disciplers or that we're not Christians in one place or the other. But the majority of our audience is actually people who are called into the marketplace. They care about missions and about the kingdom, but they don't necessarily feel called to full-time work. What would you say to somebody who is called to the marketplace? And they're starting to wonder if what they're doing in business really matters for the kingdom. Um, I will say if you obey GC squared, then it matters. Obey GC squared is my shorthand for obey the great commandment and obey the great commission. And, um, if you're living that kind of lifestyle, then it will matter because God's will needs to be done on earth as it is in heaven everywhere. And that's why we need emissaries of the kingdom, ambassadors of the kingdom everywhere, touching every aspect of society and every kind of person in every place. So, um, to me, the focus is, you know, why? What is your motive and what's your, what are your values where you are? If your motive and your values are related to obeying the Great Commandment and the Great Commission, then absolutely God can and will use you to advance his kingdom wherever you are. Wow. That's powerful. And I... You know, I, I definitely see the form, the mathematician coming out with the GC squared thing. I think that's beautiful. Now, I'm also sure that there are some people listening who are already supporting missionaries, either financially or in prayer, or potentially both. If they really wanted to level up their game, 
what's one thing they could do to further support or encourage a missionary? Well, um, if you're talking about increasing prayer and financial, you know, sacrifice, sacrificial giving for, for prayer. Um, I think you can work on increasing your capacity. Um, that's one thing that American Christians are not world leaders in is capacity for prayer. A, a lot of American Christians I talk to, you know, to them, praying for five minutes seems like a, a monumental task. Um, so a couple of tools that I find helpful for helping people increase their prayer capacity. One is just prayer walking, practicing either by yourself or with others, praying to the Lord about the places that you're walking just in your daily life. And uh, that can be an opportunity to start spiritual conversations with people is, you know, maybe you ask them, you know, I'm out here praying for this community. Do you know of anything in particular I should pray for? And a lot of times they will have something. And then you can ask them, while I'm at it, is there anything I can pray for you personally? And often there will be, and you pray for them. And then that opens a spiritual conversation that, you know, God uses in some way. But also it just sensitizes us to be able to see things from God's perspective as we go through our day, that we see things from, you know, feel what he feels, desire what he desires. And then that leads to more and more habitually living in an attitude of prayer so that, you know, it's just how we are during the day. And another tool is something I like to use called the prayer wheel. And it takes an hour and divides it into 12 categories and then has a little descriptor for each five minute segment. And usually if you introduce that to somebody, they'll pray through that hour and they say that was an hour. That just seemed like a few minutes and just having it guided a little bit helps it not seem so overwhelming. And so that's a tool that I like to use here in North America to just help increase people's prayer capacity. And if then once you've done that, you can spend a lot more time and be praying a lot more effectively for the missionaries. And just on the financial side, I would say decrease your own burn rate. I mean, there's limits for all of us that we bump up against pretty quickly in terms of how much we can earn. Mm-hmm. But we have a lot more um, control over how much we spend. And just look at things you spend and say, can I do without that? You know, I, I, I had cable TV. How about if we went without a television? You know, maybe I have more car insurance than I need. Maybe, you know, whatever. And uh, determine ahead of time that whatever you save doing that, you will give toward missions. And uh, so that would be a couple of practical things. Uh, those are 
<clears throat> excuse me. Those are very practical, and thank you for sharing that. Now it is time for us to go ahead and transition to the speed round. And this is where I get to ask you a series of qu- questions, and you come back at us with your amazing answers. Does that sound like a plan? Okay. What's one thing you wish you would have known before you started out? Um, at the very beginning, if I would have known from the beginning to invest more time in fewer people and to, to filter, that is, to throw out some small thing and observe who reacts most faithfully and passionately to that and then pick those people to invest deeply in. All right. What's the best advice you've ever received? Um, that I be concerned with the depth of my ministry and let God worry about the breadth of my ministry. All right. Can you share with us one of your personal habits that you strongly believe contributes to the success you've seen? Yeah, it's something that I call dual accountability. And that means accountability to apply what God is showing me and to pass it on to others. And um, I think that is a critical aspect of making disciples that multiply and planting churches that multiply. All right. Do you have an Internet resource that you use and could share with our listeners? Um, I've just recently um, started putting little short teaser videos up on uh, my YouTube channel. Um, they, they don't, you know, provide in-depth training, but they at least introduce people to ideas and try to get them thinking. And so, um, my YouTube channel, I think would be interesting to a lot of people. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, if you, is there a link to that on your website? Um, unfortunately, no, but a lot of the videos are on my website, um, under something like multiplication principles or something like that. And so um, it's on the website itself. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll make sure to have that linked up in the show notes, uh, which will be at engagingmissions.com slash Curtis Sargent. And that's S-E-R-G-E-A-N-T for Sargent. Now, Curtis, is there one book that you'd recommend for our listeners? Um, Can I do two because they're connected? Sure. (laughs) Um, they're by a friend of mine whose pseudonym is Nick Ripkin, but um, they're both related to persecution and suffering. One is the first is the insanity of God, and the second is the insanity of obedience. And this is a topic that uh, I don't think North American Christians pay nearly enough attention to. Because it's this, one of the significant ways God works in us and through us is through persecution and suffering, and his treatment of it is the best I've seen. Okay. Now, we're going to go ahead and go a little bit deeper. We've just got a couple questions left. This is our chance to focus on your perspective, maybe some ministry advice, and definitely to learn from your experiences. So what would you tell someone who's living in the U.S. or in North America and they're starting to realize that maybe their neighbors, their coworkers, some of the people they see in the store are from a country that we used to consider 
missionary territory. Um, Often for someone like that, um, for them to come to the Lord is going to take multiple touches. So what you need to do is try to find out where they are on their spiritual journey, their worldview, and so on. And then craft your story, you know, kind of how God has worked or is working in your life and God's story, you know, his, the history of his involvement in his creation and uh, kind of craft that in a way that will relate to them and then just love them and let, watch God work. Okay. And the follow-up question to that then is, what's one thing that somebody could do as they're getting started discipling and ministering the love of Christ to a neighbor or a coworker who is from another culture? Um, if they're open to it, to have, um, have them go through uh, a series of essentially Bible discussions. Um, that's something that we train people how to do. And it's a discussion that helps them begin to interpret and apply scripture and introduces them to this concept of dual accountability that I talked about and take them through a series of stories specifically about Christ. Um, I call it the hope series, but it's just a series of passages. And often, if they're open to discussing the Bible in this manner, um, they'll come to the Lord at the conclusion of that those few Bible discussions. Okay. Now, the last one might be a little bit tricky. Uh, imagine you woke up tomorrow morning. It's your first day of ministry in a brand new country, and you don't really know anybody yet. You still have your experience, your knowledge, your family's there with you, and your food and shelter are covered, but all that you have that we might consider resources are a laptop and $500 U.S. What do you do for the next seven days? Okay. Um, I, have, I would have a bunch of questions. Like, is this seven days at the beginning of, you know, a long-term time, or is I'm only there seven days? I'm going to assume I'm only there seven days, mm-hmm. and then there, it would be different in different environments, but I'm just going to kind of try to give a generic answer. Okay. Um, I would use the seven days to equip existing believers that were there. And that could be, you know, for sure locals, but also any expats who are focusing there. I would equip them, assuming they're motivated for kingdom growth and disciple multiplication to be as fruitful as possible and develop, help them develop a simple three-month plan that would form the basis for some initial coaching and mentoring that I could do with them maybe electronically in the future. Okay, that's good. Now, I've got one question that I didn't send you because it kind of came to me as we were talking. Um, I'm wondering, is there one question you wish I would have asked you that I didn't? Yeah, um, I think it would be good for you to ask um, a question about people's motivation. Okay. Because I think that really matters. Um, and possibly also um, if, they, if they have a, sort of an overriding framework of thought. 
So I think those would be a couple of good questions. Okay, that's really good. Would you mind um, sharing with us your motivation and your overriding framework of thought? Sure. Um, Motivation-wise, the ultimate motivation has to be for the glory of God. You know, um, there can be other motivations that are also good, but ultimately it has to come down to the glory of God. And for the overriding framework, I would say the kingdom of God is very, very helpful as an overall framework for thought, you know. Okay. Okay. Christ is king, us as, you know, ambassadors and so on. Wow. That that reminds me very much of one of the things that one of my former guests shared as well, talking about Christ as King. So I appreciate you sharing that. Now, we're almost done. Can you share with us maybe one last piece of advice and the best way for someone to connect with you if they wanted to, and then we'll say goodbye? Yeah. Um, the best way to connect with me is probably through my website, which is metacamp.org. M-E-T-A-C-A-N-P dot org. Um, And whether it's um, from me or someone else, if you have not been trained in how to be a disciple who multiplies and make disciples that multiply, I think that's something every believer needs to know. And um, I, I think that you know, Christ commanded it, he desires it, and um, we don't pay enough attention to that topic, so. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being with us, Curtis. We really appreciate your time and your generosity. Oh, thanks for having me. It's been been a pleasure. That's the end of our time with Curtis Sargent. I'm so thankful that he was able to make the time to get together with me to share the stories of what God has done in his life. If you are interested in any part of church planting or discipleship making, I would definitely recommend that you connect with Curtis to see what he can do and to see how you might be involved in what's going on in the world. If you have any interest in the resources that he shared, or if you do want to connect with him, You'll want to do that by visiting the show notes, which are at engagingmissions.com slash Curtis Sargent or slash 38 as in the number 38 for episode 38. As always, if you're interested in leaving a comment, I would love to hear from you. You can do that on the show notes, or if you'd like to send me some feedback, you can send that directly to feedback at engagingmissions.com. And then in addition to your feedback, if you would like to help me spread the word about what God is doing in the world and to share what missionaries like Curtis are doing, it would really help if you could do that. You can, of course, send a note to a friend, an email, or send something on social media. That really means a lot. One other thing that means quite a bit is if you would subscribe and then leave a rating and review in iTunes. Not only does this give me feedback and help me know whether or not I'm meeting your needs, but it also helps other people find out about the show because whether you know this or not, actually iTunes and the other podcast libraries like it are big search engines. And when people are looking for things like interviews with Curtis Sargent, It helps prioritize things based on how many ratings and reviews you have, and it would really mean a lot if you could help me with that. 
Uh, if you've never done that before, it can seem a little daunting, but it's actually not that hard. And I've put together a quick video that you can find at engagingmissions.com slash iTunes. It's about two and a half, three minutes long, and it shows you everything that you need to know in order to be able to subscribe and then also to leave a rating and a review in iTunes. And it even has handy links to just take you directly there. So you don't have to go there and search and try and figure stuff out. It'll just take you directly where you need to go. If you would, I'd really appreciate it if you'd do that. That really does mean a lot. And of course... Thanks so much for being here. Whether this is your first time with us or whether you've been with us since the very beginning, it means an awful lot to know that you took the time to listen to Curtis share his story and to hear about what's going on in the world. My heart and my prayer is that your life will be transformed, that you will be more connected with what God is doing in the world, and that you will be inspired to take action as the Holy Spirit leads you and empowers you and provides the resources for you to be involved in His work in the world, however He would have that be. This has been the Engaging Missions Radio Show. Thanks so much for listening. May God richly bless you. We'll see you next week.